Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? Either you mistook somebody for somebody else or someone mistook you for somebody? Or maybe you mischaracterized something about somebody you knew or someone thought something about you that wasn't quite right? I have.
Call. Cool. 
God, we uh, quiet our hearts before you for just a minute. And we pray for a settling over us of your love and your presence wherever we are across the globe right now. We ask that this hour would be filled with downloads of your love, of your reality, of uh, breakthrough for those who need it. And we thank you for the, the scripture we'll be diving into today of radical transformation of a really messed up man who could be used for you to do good things in the world. And Lord, we pray for those kind of moments for each of us, that you would bring into clarity the things that you want each of us to be about in this season. And we would go after it with all our hearts, with great courage to bring your love and be bearers of your love to everyone we encounter this week. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Since we still can't gather together physically, the Blue Water staff team misses being able to talk to people. One of the ways we're handling that is by inviting you to send in video questions that we can respond to. And since today is sort of Kids Sunday around Blue Water Mission, we're taking questions from the youngest members of our congregation today. The first question comes from Mateo. Hi, Pastor Jordan. I, this is Mateo. I've got a question for you. Do dogs go to heaven? Because my dog Chewy is super naughty. Do dogs go to heaven? That's a great question, Mateo. I'm going to defer this to an expert. Augie, what do you think? I think Augie agrees that dogs go to heaven. I certainly agree with Augie. Psalm 104 says that when animals lose their breath, they return to dust. But when the Spirit of God comes, the face of the earth is renewed. So sure, I think dogs can be resurrected. I also think that anyone can get to eternity if God remembers them. And I plan to remind God of my dogs. As for your dog's naughtiness, Dogs might be mischievous, but they're also really good at saying, I'm sorry and repenting. Pray for your dog. Hi, Pastor Jordan. Uh, I'm Ezekiel. I have a question. Did you believe in God when you were a kid? Thanks, that's a great question, Ezekiel. Uh, when I was a little guy, uh, my family was not a church-going family, but I was introduced to Jesus by some babysitters that I had. And then I moved around the country a lot. I moved from California to Missouri. And my grandmother tells a story about when I was four years old or so. I had been playing outside and I ran into the house and I said to her, Jesus doesn't live in California anymore. And she said to me, why do you say that, honey? And I said, well, because I just saw him outside. So evidently I was talking to Jesus when I was four years old. I wonder, Ezekiel, if you might sometimes have the feeling that Jesus is hanging out with you, too. Get back to me on that. Good morning, Blue Water Ohana. Welcome. We're here, and the kingdom of God is at hand. We set aside this time to celebrate that. The kingdom is close, 
and the Spirit of the Lord rests upon the people of God. I'm reminded of that every time I encounter a person of faith and it's so soothing to my soul. Thank you for joining us this morning. One quick announcement, we're still standing by to hear when Palama will be open, but no word yet. So continue to join us right here online. All right, let's continue our worship with our offering. You can give in two ways, online at our website or via post. Just send your checks to our office. If you're new or visiting, please feel no obligation to give, but do sign up for our newsletter on our website. It is powerful to be joined by our kids this morning. They are sowing into our community of faith. All right, kids, why don't you stand up and we'll pray for you. Oh Lord, we thank you for our children. We thank you uh, for the song that they sing and the song that they bring to our lives. Uh, we bless that song with your love and your word and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had a case of mistaken identity? I have. So here's a true story. 1985, I first laid eyes on Jordan Singh, and I had some immediate reactions. We uh, were both freshmen at Stanford University. I had just moved into my dorm. My sister and my brother-in-law had helped me move in. And, uh, we were, I got to brunch afterwards, and we, we were sitting down waiting for our meal, and I opened up what's called the, the Frosh Book. This is a Facebook, a picture book of the 1,500 incoming freshmen uh, sorted out by dorm uh, location. I opened up this book, and I noticed that uh, in the building adjacent mine, I was in Naranja, and uh, across from, uh, next door to our building was a, uh, the African-American theme house called Ujamaa. And my picture was right about here, and right across from my picture was a very interesting face. And I said to my sister out loud, two things. One, oh, he's cute. Two, he must be Hapa, <laughs> with a name like saying. And this picture was, he was, it was kind of a grainy picture and he was kind of tan looking and he had a big smile on his face. Must be a very joyful person. <laughs> uh, now I um, had immediate occasion to make further conclusions because this Jordan saying kept showing up in my space. So the freshman class, 1,500 students, they're divided into groups of like, you know, eight, maybe eight to 10 and everyone's assigned a, an advisor for the year. Well, he was in that group with me. It was very odd, random. Then uh, we're all divided up the whole class into different lecture groups for a, a culture class. That's about 200, 200 kids. He was in that. Then they take that class and randomly divide that up into groups of like 12 to 15 for a small group seminar. Guess what? He's there. I had a lot of opportunity in those first few days to observe him. And uh, I, I noticed that um, he was annoyingly attractive. But number three, certainly, he was not a Jesus follower. Now, how did I know that? I mean, I just knew. I knew because he had this jock walk. I don't know, I can't even do it. 
It's like this jock <laughs> And I, it, it just smelled suspiciously unchristian. <laughs> he had this unapologetically kind of confident posture that I was very unfamiliar with. It made me feel uncomfortable. But, you know, he kept showing up in my space. Now, I was a passionate young Christian. I was sensitive. I was mature. You know, I'd been around. Uh, but throughout my high school years, I had assiduously, successfully avoided any romantic entanglement with someone who didn't share my faith. I was very, very, you know, protective of that. And I was not going to crash and burn now. I remember I had a high school friend who once said to me, are you going to be a nun, Sonia? Because I was very committed to this. So I kid you not, within about 10 days of that, that first meeting, uh, or seeing him in the, face, in the Facebook, uh, Freshbook page, um, I found myself alone in my dorm room, alone, praying fervently to God, Lord, you see that I'm drawn to this person. It doesn't matter if I never see him again, just save him. I'm gonna tell you, prayer is amazing. <laughs> prayer works, man. Okay. What really happened was the next day we're in this giant lecture class and I'm sitting next to Jordan and this other Jewish guy and we're talking about this passage from Genesis and I hear Jordan say this very random thing. Uh, I believe that God established the family before the fall. And I'm like, what? What kind of unbeliever says something like that? That's crazy. I did a double take. My eyes just kind of popped out of my head. I thought, I maybe have not gotten this right. After class, I chased him down. And I said, uh, what's your faith like? What's your faith life like? Turns out he says, I'm a Christian. I was super cool. I said something very low key like, praise God. <laughs> I found a brother. Now that was the start of a very long story. We've been married now like 28 years. We've got two kids. We've planted a number of different churches, a lots of adventures. But all of that kind of hinged on my ability to do a double take, to, to pivot, to look again. And that's what I want to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Saul of Tarsus was approached by God to look again. A lot of things in history, the history of the church, um, his culture was going to hinge on his ability to do a double take and look again. So um, I have asked um, Antonio to help us uh, today. We're going to read this scripture from Acts chapter 9. Take a listen or follow along in your Bible at home. Acts chapter 9. We're just going to read uh, the first half of that. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there, speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. 
The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man of Tar from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Thanks, Antonio. So it's kind of a longish story, but it's an amazing narrative. Let's just go back through it just a little bit here. So Saul is hot on the trail. He's hunting Christians. He's got letters from his big bosses uh, to go into Damascus and uh, uh, give him authority to arrest uh, men and women believers um, and, and take them to prison. Um, and right in the middle of this, of his passion, of his heated, earnest pursuit of righteousness as he understands it, he gets stopped. And he gets singled out. I love this. He's standing with some guys. The guys, they hear a sound, but they are, they're not called. They don't fall to the ground. They don't get blind. Only Saul. God singles out this man right in the middle of where he's at. And then um, they have this conversation, which is so interesting to me because, I mean, you think that this was like busted time, right? But there's a moment here of introduction. It's almost like two people talking. They're having a conversation. Oh, what's your name? Oh, what's your name? What do you do for a living? You know, it's like you're at a cocktail party. But it's really Jesus is introducing himself to Saul in this moment. So um, a couple points I want. There's so much here. I'm not going to talk about the whole follow through. But I want to focus in on what happens that starts the ball rolling here. Uh, Three things, three points I want to make to you today. First point, passion ain't perfect. Okay, let's say it together. Passion, passion ain't, ain't perfect. perfect. And what I mean by that is that earnest people can still be earnestly wrong. Um, and what happens in this story is Saul is so passionate about what he thinks is the right move um, it has a power to itself. Now, going back to my story about meeting Jordan, when I met Jordan, I was sure he wasn't a Christian. I was certain um, because I had some conceptions about uh, what character and personality uh, look like. Um, but I incorrectly weighted my personal feelings, my sense of, of conviction. I mean, I ended up actually learning that he became a Christian before I did when he was like two or three years old. And he, he had a particular... Uh, upbringing that made um, helped shape a kind of a unique personality that he has that 
makes them very flexible for different circumstances. Um, but I didn't understand at the time. And I'm grateful that I had a chance to look again. Now Saul also was sure about God. Uh, he was sure that Jesus was a false prophet, that his followers were, were a blight on society. And he was convinced that God uh, was interested in running a good religious system. Saul was also passionate and sure about who he was. Uh, he um, knew that he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He would have gone to the best sort of uh, schooling in his um, community. Uh, he was doing the hardest job uh, possible. I mean, it was hard to drag people out of their homes and hunt them down. I mean, he was all in. Uh, I want to point to, we uh, get a nice inside look at what Paul was thinking in Philippians 3. Uh, he says, um, talking about where he was at. Um, before he met Jesus. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So um, I want to just pose a question here. What are we passionate about? What do we think we know about God? What do we think we know about ourselves? Like Saul, we may want to be interruptible. And we interrupt this sermon for a game. We're going to play a little what's in your wallet. Would everybody do me a favor and take out your wallet? I got my wallet. Because I think our wallets Give us a little insight into what are the things that we think we're about. Um, everybody, look through your wallet, and I want you to find a card that you think says something about you. While you're doing that, I'll tell you what I have in my wallet. This is pretty interesting. I've got my driver's license, my Hawaii State driver's license. I've got my... Um, uh, coffee bean card because my preferences for coffee are high. Here I have a, a 40 year, no, like 50 year old ticket from a train trip I took with my family. This is like a memento from a beloved trip I had a long time ago. I have in here, um, oh, I've got my SAG AFTRA actors, uh, my union card. It's important to me. Got, um, oh, my life is swell t shirt business that I do. I've got that. I've got an MP3 card of a song I wrote. That's interesting. My Costco card. Oh, I've got my Stanford Alumni Association card. All of these things kind of tell a little bit about what I associate with, what I identify with. How about you guys? Jilly, what do you got in your wallet? A picture of my son. There you go. Josiah. Uh, I have a Boat US card. In case I get stuck somewhere, they'll come tow my boat. Okay. That's a huge part of your life, boating. Yep. Um, I have credit cards, I have a Delta card, and I put everything on that so I can get miles, so I can fly. You want, if you like to fly. Yeah. You guys? Mindy, what do you got in your wallet? I have a member card to an Indonesian gym. That says a lot about you. I have yeah. a Medicaid card. I have right. two Hawaii IDs and a ATM card. Anybody here got something you want to share? Something interesting? One card? I have a Hawaii State Library card. There you go, you're a reader. 
That's right, and you're too cheap to buy them. So it says a lot. So what do we have in our wallets, right? What These things that show our identity. Well, here's what I want to say to you. When you meet Jesus on the road to Damascus, when Saul meets him, when we meet Jesus, we're not going to have our wallets. We're not going to have any of these IDs. We're going to meet him, just us and Jesus. And that's what Saul discovered. That's what he came away with um, from that encounter. Whatever our gains, whatever we think makes us who we are, whatever we're passionate about, let's take a look because passion isn't always perfect. Uh, let's live an interruptible life. Point two, you're on your own, kid. Can you say that? You're on, you're on your, your own, own kid. kid. Now, what I mean by that is God loves humanity, Amen. but he invests in individuals. God loves the whole bunch of us, but he seems to work almost exclusively one-on-one. -on -one. Very interesting. So here's a little story. When I was about nine or 10, uh, I was a naughty little kid. Uh, actually, I was a pretty naughty little kid. Um, I know you don't believe that. Uh, I was waiting after school uh, for my mom to pick me up, which I often did. She often took a long time. I was running around playing with a bunch of boys who were kind of mischievous. We, somebody had the idea that it would be good to climb up a tree and start throwing things at people. You know, people walking by. It was pretty fun. Uh, me and Kimo were up there in the tree. Well, it was in front of the music school. And shortly after that, one of the high schoolers apparently told on us, and the piano teacher, Mrs. King, who I knew was like a family friend, came running out. What are you guys doing? Come down from that tree. And I was so like, I was so like ashamed and I was like crying, you know. And I managed, you know, to say, you should ask, what are you doing? I managed to say, I wasn't throwing the sticks. I was just passing them to Kimo. <laughs> That didn't go over so well with Mrs. King. My association was not what she was looking for. She wanted to know, no, what are you doing? I see you, Sonia Lum. I was Sonia Lum then. And she believed in my capacity to be a mindful individual. Um, the Bible is a history of people who are called out, who are singled out. God says, what are you going to do? What, Here's what I want to do with you as an individual. And that's what happens here in Acts chapter 9. Jesus singles out Saul. He doesn't say, ah, oh, men in the area, men in the area. He says, Saul, Saul. He calls Saul by name. He calls us by name. And uh, uh, does this bother anybody? Because really, Saul is like part of a gang, right? I mean, just a few chapters ago, we see that he's like a passive uh, witness to this brutal stoning, and he's standing there uh, with the people's, you know, robes laid at his feet, and he's, he's part of a larger group of, of violence that's happening. What about those guys? Those guys are still running around. God doesn't call them out. He, like, singles Saul out, right? So is he getting singled out to be busted? I think there's good news here. Saul is being singled out to be blessed. Are you singled out to be busted? Is Mrs. King singling me out to bust me? 
really, we're being singled out, called out as individuals to be blessed. He wants to separate us from whatever pack we're running with to change our trajectory. And that's what he does for Saul. Um, it's, it's all through the Bible. God says to Abram, Abram, leave your people. Come go on a trip with me, right? He's, it's the start of every uh, exciting story. And God tells us that our fate is not tied to the group that we came from. It's not tied to what our family crap was, right? So um, because of God, because of his work with us as individuals, we can be raised and by people who have a terrible relational history, right? We can come from a, a family of broken marriages, and because of God's work with us as individuals, we can have a successful, healthy marriage. We can be raised by addicts. We can be surrounded by money. And because of God's work with us as an individual, we can be free from addiction. We can live generous lives. We are not tied into the fate of whatever group we came from. And I think that's the good news uh, uh, of Jesus calling Saul by name. Come on out, son. Come on out. You're on your own, but I'm going to back you. So um, I think the, the operational point there is be open to the gift of your own choices. You're on your own, but be open to the gift of your agency. Um, Third point, take it personally. Can we all say that? Take it personally. Take it personally. I mean, that almost sounds like a, in our society, who wants to take it personally? But here's the deal. Jesus takes it very personally. Um, let's look at that conversation between Saul and Jesus again. It's pretty amazing. And this is my own interpretation of it. Saul, Saul, yes, I know exactly who you are. Uh, why are you persecuting me? Paul, pause, pause. Um, who is me? Uh, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, who you're persecuting. Stunned silence. All right, that's all you need to know for now. I'll be back in touch. Jesus reduces the whole issue of what Paul's doing in his life, all the fear, the chaos, the, the plans, the agenda. He reduces it to a very small personal window. And um, there's no theological argument there. There's no social arguments. It's just Jesus saying, um, you're hurting me. Now, is that technically true? How can that be true? I mean. Technically, Saul has been imprisoning people, like men and women going to their homes. It's not Jesus, right? Jesus has already died and resurrected and gone to heaven. How can he be hurting Jesus? It's a very crazy concept. But I think this idea is what starts to shift everything for Saul. And I would say this is what God would like to shift for us as well. Um, the real nature of sin is that it's personal breakdown between just me and Jesus. When I sin against Quok, it's Quok's face, but it's really actually Jesus. And when we get to the end of the road, that's what we're going to see. 
there's not going to be any theological conversation. There's not going to be any um, association. It's just going to be, why are you hurting me? It's very sobering. And this is not a new concept. This is something that Jesus speaks about consistently in the Gospels. If you can remember the teaching of the, par of the sheep and the goats, Jesus says, you know, there's going to be a day when you're going to be judged. And you're going to say, um, oh, Lord, Lord, when did I not, you know, take care of you or feed you or visit you in prison? And he's going to say, well, when you did it for the least of these, my brothers or sisters, well, you did it for me. And when you didn't do it for them, you didn't feed me, you didn't visit me. It's all going to be extremely personal. Do we believe that? It, it, this is not a light teaching. Um, this, I think, is why the gospel is effective. When we in our heart can recognize Jesus and actively, actually love him, this kind of personal method is way more powerful than policy. Personal over policy. Do we see the face of Jesus? Paul's life is going to end up being extremely difficult. He's going to get his, his A kicked here, left and right. He's going to get shipwrecked. He's going to get whipped. He's going to get rejected. He's going to be um, starving. He's going to be, he's going to go through a lot. And there's no policy that can make somebody endure that kind of challenge. Only a personal love with Jesus, only a personal connection could see somebody through that. And I want to say that as we walk through our lives, God is calling us to incredible destinies, and we are only going to make it insofar as we are individually, personally, seeing the face of Jesus. Um, again, our wallets, our ID cards, our associations, our theological arguments, our church affiliation, they're not going to be there. It's just going to be, hey, Sonia, I'm Jesus. How you doing? How are we doing? Now, if we're not ready for that, I mean, are we ready? I would like a little more time myself. Are we ready for that encounter? If we're not ready, today is the day that we can start to make that shift. Today, today's the day. That's great news. I mean, Jesus didn't let Saul go on for the rest of his life. He interrupted him and said, hey, buddy, today's the day you can make that shift. Well, today's the day you can make that shift to see the face of Jesus. Because in the end, that's all that's going to matter. Let that happen today. How can we do that? Well, how do we get ready? I want to suggest a couple things. Um, imagine what it would feel like to love Jesus personally. So walk through your day and to feel a tug on your heart like, oh, someone's calling me. I should do a double take. I should look again. I should pay attention. And oh, there's something coming up in my heart that seems like it's a godly thing. It's kindness. It's a need to, to share with somebody something. Um, are we interruptible that way? 
Um, can God capture our attention like he did Saul's? Does this sound too hard for you? No. Yeah, thank you. It's not too hard. And I have it on great authority that even a child can do this. Last week, uh, Brianna Gibbons, she's eight years old, she had an experience uh, about this very thing, about what it's like to live an interruptible life and to respond to Jesus in real time in her neighborhood. Can we uh, take a look at that? Um, hi, my name's Brianna. I wanna tell you about reaching out to a neighbor. Um, so I was just biking in my neighborhood um, regular, sorry, <laughs> and um, I just saw this man who was walking very slowly and he had like these arm crutches and just getting really tired easily and people were like smirking at him and staring at him and I felt really bad for him and then I came up to him and he was like oh sorry am I on your way and I'm like no no it's totally fine so I just biked off normally and then and then I just like stopped because I knew I needed to do something so I turned around, went back to him, and I was just like, sir, um, I just wanted to tell you that I'll be praying for you. And he was like, oh, thank you, I'll be praying for you too. And so I biked home feeling like really happy. And then I went straight to my mom, and I was like, mom, will you pro pray over, will you pray with me? And she just asked, what is it for? And I told her about it. And then we prayed over him. And it was really, it was really good. What, what prompted you to want to pray for him? I don't know. It was just biking normally and seeing this man and seeing people biking by and staring at him and smirking and just seeing him walking and acting like really tired, like, when he was walking and walking very slowly and feeling really bad, like he's in everybody's way. Just felt like I really needed to do something. So he felt like he was protected and that he didn't have to worry about people look, staring at him or feeling in people's way. How did you get up the courage to talk to him? <laughs> I didn't really need much because I knew that God was with me and I knew that he isn't a very rude guy who would just be like, no, I don't want you to pray for me. You could just tell. Yeah. Well, that's how it's done, folks. Behold the master, takes a child. Let's just review real quickly what Brianna did. She listened, she lived an interruptible life. She's biking through her neighborhood, right? She sees a guy, passes him. She hears in her spirit, in her heart, oh, go back. Something's not quite finished there. People are making fun of him or mocking him. She feels there's something not right about that. In spite of what everyone else is doing around her, she becomes an individual. She acts on her own sense of agency and choice. She steps out from her crowd and greets this man, um, creates a, a sense of safety for him, and tells him that she's gonna pray for him. That's amazing. I challenge you this week to do as good as that. Um, 
Third, I would say what she gives to um, this man is something that's within her sphere. It's concrete. It's actual. Uh, she offers encouragement and she offers prayer. And I wanted to say that is an amazing start for how we could start to follow along the footsteps of Saul, follow along the footsteps of Abraham, walk into our destinies, and change the world. Aloha, family. We're thankful for the opportunity to share in these online services together. Jesus was 100% God, and yet he humbled himself by coming to earth as a man and took on all our sins. By connecting personally with him, we receive eternal life and can live in freedom and purpose. Like Sonia shared today about Saul, if you're feeling like you're being personally called by Jesus, allow Jesus to do what he does best, to wash us clean with his forgiveness and incredible love so that we can live the life of freedom and peace that he offers. You can do this by simply inviting him into your life. Romans 10:9 says, say with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. There's no problem too big, no mistake too severe, and no pain too great that he can't handle and help us through. If you're in need, our prayer team will be available today between 10.30 and 11 a.m. They would love to pray for you to receive a special touch from God. Simply send an email to julie at bluewatermission.org with your name and your phone number, and someone from our team will call you back to pray with you. As we say goodbye today, we can be full of joy this week because no matter what we face, we can live victoriously. Because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross, he became our savior and offers us his saving grace.